how are you bearing fruit? Yeah. Don't exactly. like not not and ask about this guy. Exactly. How are you bearing fruit? Welcome to the episode. Before we begin, remember you can ask us a question and we will answer it on the podcast at the end of the episode. You can ask us by emailing us at basicallyrelatedpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you enjoy this podcast, please like, share, subscribe, and leave us a review. Today we are discussing the readings for the 27th Sunday of Ordinary Time, Year A. The prophet Isaiah delivers a poem about Israel's covenant failures and the removal of God's protection. St. Paul tells us to put aside anxiety and practice virtue, and Christ gives us another vineyard parable about divine judgment. But first, the sacred and profane. But before that, if you're watching, you already know this, but if you're only listening, we're joined by Matt again, because Jonathan, Father Jonathan is out on on priest retreat this week, but he'll, he'll be back. So we're joined again by Matthew. Thank you for filling yeah, in for, sure. for Father's place. I'm just doing my best to fill his seat. <laughs> <laughs> Big shoes to fill. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the sacred, this week, the first week of October, we have, I think, six feasts. There's a ton that's happening. Yeah. October 1st, we had St. Therese, although it was Sunday, but still, many people still celebrated her in one way mm-hmm. or another. Uh, October 2nd, the Guardian Angels. October 4th, St. Francis. Yeah. October 5th, St. Faustina. October 6th, St. Bruno. It's crazy. And then October 7th, we had Our Lady of the Rosary. And all of these are are, are so great in so many ways. We have Faustina that gave us divine mercy. Mm-hmm. We have St. Bruno who may, it's a bit of a speculation, a bit of debate, but he may have given us the rosary. Nice. Um, some early pictures uh-huh. of him have a rosary. Yeah. So yeah. was it St. Dominic? <laughs> Was it, you know, was it St. Yeah. Bruno? I don't know. Uh, the, he founded the Carthusians that have the saying, mm-hmm. the Carthusians have never been reformed because they've never been deformed. Wow. Yeah, it's, you know, and there's, <laughs> I like that. There's the, the legend that they were, I think a French contracting company was working on a wing of their monastery and they built it into a graveyard. And so they had to exhume the bodies, but they kept exhuming incorruptible people all the monks they kept it wow exhuming were incorrupt and so they said what do we do with the bodies and the i guess the uh the abbot it would it would be said put them back (laughs) (laughs) they said just put them back (laughs) at the grave uh i don't know if they still do this but they used to just bury them straight into the ground wow no coffin they would just i think put a marker to let you know that they were there don't dig up this yeah right exactly (laughs) no name nothing and Put them straight in the ground. I don't know if they still Jeez. do that, but it's wild. And of course, you have Our Lady of the Rosary, which is the Great Battle of Lepanto, mm-hmm. um, where the, the Holy League, the Christian co- Coalition, I think, to destroy the Ottoman Empire. That's that's a. I would love to get into that, but that's. I have two other saints I'd rather get into. But there, there's <laughs> yeah. some, the Battle of Lepanto yeah, is yeah. very, very uh, interesting. So the saints I, I wanted to focus on, though. St. Therese and St. Francis, mm-hmm. particularly because I have devotions to him, but also because St. Therese and St. Francis are very well known, but they're also sometimes depicted so softly. Yeah. Right? You know, the little the little mm-hmm. flower, the little yeah. way. Mm-hmm. You know, some people, I, I, I want to be like St. Therese. Uh-huh. But I'd like to quote a passage of hers from uh, her her autobiography, the 
the story of soul. This is the quote. I offered myself to the child Jesus as his little plaything. I told him not to use me as a valuable toy children are content to look at, but dare not touch, but to use me like a little ball of no value, which he could throw on the ground, push with his foot, pierce, leave in a corner, or press to his heart if it pleased him. In a word, I wanted to amuse Jesus and give him pleasure. So, St. Therese's main <laughs> influences are St. John of the Cross, obviously, uh-huh. yep. and the imitation of Christ. And in this passage, she's saying, I am content to be abandoned by Jesus. Right. I'm, I'm content to be nothing but like a little plaything, yep. just be thrown in a corner, and that's it. And that was her, the essence of her little way of this mm-hmm. abandonment that I will become as little as possible so that God may be right. glorified. Uh-huh. That's, that's intense. To be yeah, like... that, that is, that's, that's more intense than you would think. Yeah. You know, like it does seem like, oh, like, you know, I like abandonment to God's will. It's like, yeah, but like she is suggesting that she's willing to go into these periods of desolation of what feels like abandonment and, and all the, tri- the, the trials that come with it uh, for the sake of Christ, which is not, not something you say lightly. Exactly. That, that, that's exactly what she's saying is I'm, I'm willing to be either close to you, yeah. pressed to your heart, or if you will it, to be thrown in a corner never to be looked right. at again, to be seen as nothing. Right. I mean, of course, a lot of people maybe say that, right? Like, you know, humility, uh-huh. see me as nothing. Yeah, yeah. But to actually say to, to Christ, I, I'm willing to be nothing to you. Right. That's, yeah, that's was, pretty hardcore. Isn't there like a, um, there is a saying of like, don't, don't love the, the consolations from God, rather love the God of consolations. Yes. So there's, there's that whole aspect of just feeling like, oh, yeah, you know, like give yourself over to Christ and, and he'll make you feel good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, as opposed to being like, no, give yourself over to Christ because that's who you should be. Yes. Regardless of the feeling. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. You know, I like that's, that. yeah, that's spot on. It's just, I'm giving myself over to you. Do with me as you will. Yeah. Right. To it, truly believe that as opposed to yes. just say it. Yeah. Yeah. No. So. I mean, it's true. She is a great saint, and she does have the little way and everything like that, and pray to her. Sometimes you get mm-hmm. roses. But there's also this, like, she was a tough, yeah, tough saint to go through this. And, of course, the next St. Francis of Assisi, who is often depicted. With animals. With animals. <laughs> Although the animal, so the animal thing, I, I, I was thinking about it. The greater commentary, the deeper commentary on St. Francis's relationship to like nature and animals mm-hmm. is like this idea that grace had so transformed his nature that he was almost this pre-lapsarian man. Mm, yeah. He was he was an atom that could have harmony with nature as opposed mm-hmm. to in conflict with nature. Yep. So I mean I think as you know if people have devotion to him for his love of nature, I think that's fine. Yeah. But that it's it's deeper than that. Mm-hmm. It's not just well, yep. you know, he liked birds. Yes. You know? <laughs> I see it more um, as I've been like discovering things from like Jonathan Peugeot and such. It seems more akin to something like a symbolic world. Yeah. We're just yeah. seeing the liveliness in everything uh, and then seeing the patterned structure of everything and seeing so like seeing a tree and be like brother tree because you know that everything is essentially a portal into a symbolic life. Yeah. Um, so seeing it that way is, is definitely... <laughs> A better way to frame St. Francis than like, he loved bunnies. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. And I, I think for for people who 
have a devotion to him, again, because of his love of animals. I think that's actually a good thing because mm-hmm. Francis shows this exact worldview that you described. It's it's okay to love nature. Right. In fact, we should we should take care of nature. Mm-hmm. We should take care of animals. However, remember that it's because of God. Like, yes. you know, God right. is at the top, uh-huh. not nature, not animals. But because we have this common father, we respect them out of that. Right. And I think it, it helps people place their dog or their bunny in proper Correct. hierarchy. Yeah, for sure. To um, to God. The other point I want to talk about St. Francis really quick. I He's he's a kind of a saint that like haunted my imagination for a very long time. I went to a Franciscan high school, so of course Francis was everywhere. I have a picture of St. Francis that I really love. My mom got it for me a couple of years ago. And it's it, it revolves around this question of when exactly did St. Francis become St. Francis? When mm-hmm. did he convert? Mm-hmm. And autobiographers talk about, or biographers talk about, was it, you know, this dramatic moment where he's like throwing clothes out yeah. of his window? <laughs> was it was he when he stripped practically naked mm-hmm. in front of his family? Uh, or was it, you know, the, the moment when at the, I think, San Damiano, that the cross speaks to him, yeah. says, rebuild my church. And it's actually this moment when he encounters a leper. Mm. And Francis was apparently, you know, pre-conversion, a very aesthetic man, very luxurious, lo- mm-hmm. you know, loved things looking good. So lepers yeah. are <laughs> the exact opposite of <laughs> that. Know. Yeah, yeah. You know, like very, it's, I mean, it's a horrific disease even yeah. in our own age, but certainly mm-hmm. in the medieval period would have been even worse. But he sees a, he sees a leper and is horrified and then kind of changes his mind about him, has this like interior grace, and then goes and embraces the mm-hmm. leper. And and I think he, he kisses the leper. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some legends say, you know, it was actually, you know, kind of Christ in disguise or, or you know, hidden underneath yeah. this. But that's, that, that's when he has this moment of, of conversion. I'm going to try to find I had a I had a quote from him. But he was saying how oh yeah. It's somewhere in here. Yes. I was writing up something. Um this quote is The Lord granted me, Brother Francis, to begin penance this way. When I was in my sins, just to see a leper was very bitter for me. And the Lord took me among them and I showed them mercy. And on leaving them what seemed bitter to me had turned for me, sweetness of body and soul. And afterwards, I waited a little and left the world. Mm. So it was this embracing of the repulsive that he actually found right. healing and freedom. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's a great that's a great lesson for me personally. For sure. Yeah. Of like going, yes, the Lord speaks to us through our desires. Mm-hmm. But sometimes... He speaks to us in our, I don't know, our, yeah. our anti-desires. Right, right, you know, yeah. like, I mean, that, that comes, goes back to what St. Therese was saying of like, are you willing to go that far mm-hmm. to, of total abandonment? You know, it's like, it's really just putting putting that faith to the test um, to seeing how far you will go. You know, like I, I think of the practical application of that of like, fatherhood sounds great and we're all like touting, everybody should have families and, you know, get married. It's good for society. It's good for people. Are you going to change diapers? So that, know, like, that was the exact example I was thinking <laughs> it's of. It's like, are you ready for that? Like, that's that's crazy. <laughs> because, you know, I'm I'm a, like, very high-disgust kind of guy. Yeah, and, yeah. Like, exactly. Like, very hygienic. And mm-hmm. the idea of changing a diaper is like, 
Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, that's where you're called. You're called to embrace the ugly. Right. It's the embodiment, like, though, and yeah. that ties back to Francis's whole thing, where it's like he sees the the beauty of the the corporeal world, right. and seeing and and that's a totally different uh, like symbolic worldview. Um, there's a famous quote that people always like to debunk around his feast day about when um, preach the gospel always, but when necessary, mm-hmm. use words. And I was like, he didn't say that. But the thing is, he he did say something very close, mm-hmm. at least according to St. Paul. Not Bonaventure. with words. <laughs> <laughs> um, he said that he would rather his brothers he would rather his brothers live the gospel than know how to preach. Mm. So yeah, it wasn't good ex- enough, yeah, right? It was like it was a loose translation. Yeah. So. To your point about embodiment, mm-hmm. that's exactly the, his point. I think is is live the gospel. Yeah. Go to the ugly parts of the world, right? And embrace it. Yeah. As opposed to. Yeah, I like that. Just a lot. the things. Yeah. I, no, I, I I like that um, that reflection by, or that that idea of going to the the ugly spot was mm-hmm. what changed Saint Francis. Yeah. But anyway, gotta move on. Um, so the profane. Let's I don't go. have much. I'm going to say that since it's October now, I feel fully, I, I feel like I can fully enjoy Oktoberfest beer. I saw it in the grocery store in August. Uh-huh. And I was like, like, not yet. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sweating out here. I can't have yeah, it. Yeah, that's like, true. You know, yeah. I can't have uh-huh. Oktoberfest. September, yeah. maybe. But now it's October, so I'm going to have one. I'm going to have one tonight. You should have brought so. one here. <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. I should have. <laughs> oh, well. I have coffee, but. That's the profane. It's anything, fresh, baby. anything you'd like to say or um, profanely? <laughs> uh, I'm working on some music. I got some music coming out uh, October 20th, and uh, a podcast coming out October 17th. Uh, direct competition with this one. No. <laughs> I'm going to be doing going through the readings and. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, just I'm starting a podcast October 17th, kind of breaking down some of my. Uh, lyrics and talking about the meaning behind them and then uh hopefully going to be releasing a song a month or thereabouts uh from here on out and then breaking them down on the podcast as well so i'm i'm excited about that nice that's awesome yeah hopefully it pops off yeah we'll see (laughs) uh all right so we'll get into the readings for this sunday so our first reading this week is from isaiah chapter 5 uh, one through verses one through seven. Um, so in this, he gives us a a parable, or I should say, a poem. In it's apparently considered a uh, this masterpiece of mm-hmm. of Hebrew poetry that is filled with a lot of symbolism that would that his audience would have understood. Mm. So we're continuing with this idea of God's concern for His vineyard, and in the reading, it talks about how. Uh, Isaiah relates that he has a friend who has this vineyard who he put it on a fertile hillside. He spayed it. He took care of it. He cleared the rocks. He put the best, the choice, the choiciest of mm-hmm. vines and built the watchtower, everything for it. But, and he's addressing this to the people of Judah, he says. So there's mm-hmm. an audience there that, again, is familiar that the vineyard is a very common image if they would have, you know, if they knew their Psalms yep. about Israel, mm-hmm. but he makes it clear that this that he's speaking of Israel. But he says, "What, what more was there that I could do for my vineyard that I had not done? When I looked for the crop of grapes, why did I find wild grapes?" Mm-hmm. 
and relates that the master of the vineyard, the Lord, will hand it over to, it, it, you know, it sounds like nature, you know, yeah. like <laughs> yeah. um, it doesn't even necessarily sound like there's going to be people who go through mm-hmm. and destroy it, but just I'm going to let nature take its course yeah. and trample it. And give it to grazing, break through its walls and yes. let it be trampled. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I, I wanted to kind of, I guess, unpack some of the, the rich symbolism in mm-hmm. here and kind of discuss this idea, I think, of infidelity and and I think gratitude and remembrance. Because mm. I, I think that's that's going to be the core of what happens throughout these readings is this idea of, of gratitude and re- remembrance. I guess a, a, a definition, we could say, of gratitude is a remembrance of past favors with a, a desire to make a return mm. on it. Yeah. And what Isaiah is getting at is that the vineyard, the people you know who worked the vineyard were ungrateful or forgot that they were supposed to make a return. Mm-hmm. They forgot these favors that that God did for them. And that'll be expounded more in the psalm, this idea that uh, the Lord had had taken Israel out of a place and, plant, and planted it someplace else and protected it, but they seem to have forgotten that protection. Mm. They seem to have forgotten where they came from. That's That seems to be, like I said, the, the theme right now. And, well, I feel like I've been going on. Any... No, I, I like that a lot. The, the idea of gratitude uh, being central to sustaining the vineyard. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's definitely something here. We talked about this early on the podcast, and we'll, we'll kind of flesh it out later as we get to the gospel. But there's something here that uh, has to do with identity, where there's... Uh, you know, somebody who creates a vineyard is is setting up the walls and and a frame in order to identify something, and in order for that to sustain itself, there has to be a remembrance, a gratitude mm-hmm. of its purpose, and if not, it loses its identity, and therefore the walls break away. So its container, its like boundary, is gone, and will be left to ruin the outside um, where the overgrown thorns come in, you know, that harkens back to like the thorns at, at the edge of Eden, you know, on the outside. Right. All of that starts to come in and the identity is lost. And so I think you're right that, that remembrance and gratitude are, are key central point here to, in order to sustain any type of identity, but particularly this one that Isaiah is, is positing to the, uh, to his people. That, that um, symbolism of the thorns and the briars and its connection to Eden, that's a really good one mm. because that is sort of a consequence, I think, that God says of sin is that now you're going to have to compete yep. with, uh, I forget exactly the language, but like it's the, the soil is going to be hard yep. to yeah. like deal with. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to deal with these rocks and you're going to have to deal with these thorns and briars. So it's, it's almost as he's saying, like, I was willing to take care of these for you mm-hmm. in the vineyard. Or I took yep. care of them for you, right? But now, since you are you are not remembering the favors that I did for you, I'm going to bring them back, right? Because because of your your infidelity to me, mm-hmm. I'm going to kind of make you feel the consequences of sin again, right? That's a that's a that's a really good point. 
uh, this this idea of bearing fruit is, gosh, that's such a <laughs> goes everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like that's eat into the Eucharist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like literally, and, yeah. and it, it's it's almost so so big. It's like, where, where do I begin? Mm-hmm. Like that's such a rich symbol that yeah, it, I, I don't know where, where to begin to to describe it, but it's it's at it's you know symbolically. Or you know, even just naturally, I guess when you when you think about life, you know, if something doesn't produce fruit, you immediately understand that the roots are dead, mm-hmm. or something about this plant is is dead, and it hasn't, and it's because it hasn't been nurtured in some way. So what God's saying is, I've I've nurtured you, and I was actually in a sense willing to do everything. I just needed you to kind of. Yeah. Do you know? Do your do your part, mm-hmm. and I, I would take care of everything else. But since you're unwilling to keep your part of the covenant, mm-hmm. I'm going to abandon this. Yep. And now you will have to do the hard work of of what I did for you. I guess. Right. Yeah. If that if that makes sense. Um. This this idea of remembrance and what God has done is, I think, I would say the core of the Old Testament, but I, I would say beyond that, because you even get into the Last Supper, you can do mm-hmm. this in remembrance of me. But it's, I, I, the uh, the Hebrew word is zakar, I think, and it's it's always in this context of, of something active. Mm-hmm. There's something to, it's a positive action to, to remember. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it usually has something to do with covenants. So, you know, when Noah's out in the ark, it says that God remembered. Mm-hmm. Uh, God remembers Noah, and he has the, the rainbow, as when you see the rainbow, I'll, you know, I'll remember yeah. my covenant with you. Uh, when in Exodus, God, remem- you know, he hears the plight of the people and remembers his covenant with mm-hmm. them. The Passover, there's this idea of perpetual memorial, and that when your children ask, why do we do these things? You will tell them what I did for you in the Exodus, what I did for you this night. Hmm. And so remembrance is, I think, at the core sometimes of, I don't know, if I want to say like our relationship with God. Yeah. Because it's it's human weakness is, are, are, I think, one of our, fatal flaws is that we forget, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and we're so prone to forgetfulness. Yep. I think this is why some spiritual writers talk about the importance of keeping the presence of God, of of never forgetting that he is, he is with you always, and that way you can continually recall the, the good things he's done for you. But forgetfulness then causes this this covenant infidelity. It's, it's mm-hmm. almost like it's the thing the right before you, the Israelites start becoming unfaithful mm-hmm. because they forget mm-hmm. who God is, and then I guess you know they, they forget who they are. Right. Uh, that's right. a bit of a was it Lion King? Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, it's it's also interesting to think about the opposite of remember. Uh, if you think of it as like a gathering of to member something, mm-hmm. would be dismembering. Yeah. And so the people of Israel would be dismembered if they forget, which seems very obvious when you say, without remembering, they are dismembered. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's there's a a kind of gathering up into a unity that is how we define remembering that is the source of existing in the first place. Um, yeah, that that's it seems obvious when you think about that opposite as a dismembering. Um, as a, it seems harder to connect when you just think of like why does forgetfulness lead you to uh, stray away from God? It's like your purpose. It's almost as if, as another sidetrack, like internally, if we're if we're going to bring this into the uh, individual level, when I forget, what I'm essentially doing is dismembering all of the different aspects of my life, all the different passions. They are now dismembered and left to be trampled on by the thorns, right? So. In order for me to remember all of the members of my passions, all of the different interests and purposes and stack all of that up, that has to be remembered into one focal point, which right. is God. Um, yeah. Well, when you're talking about dismember, it's like, well, that that's actually the final judgment on Israel is that they're dispersed. Mm-hmm. You know, that they're supposed to be united in this land and then ultimately united in the temple in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And then from there, God. However, the the final punishment against them is that they are scattered in the in the diaspora. Mm. That when when the punishment or when infidelity gets so bad, it's always a banishment from the land. You know, they go to uh-huh. Babylon. Um, and ultimately, this is what we'll see in the gospel. Is that's what Christ is saying is that it will be handed over to somebody else. And a lot of comment, commentators say that this is fulfilled in the, the destruction of the temple. That's mm-hmm. kind of the final, mm-hmm. that's it for Israel. You know, they, they you know, eventually go back to the land and all that, but yeah. it's never quite the same. They are dismembered mm-hmm. from there on out. They're spread out everywhere. So I, I, think, I think there is something to that forgetfulness, you know, to dismember mm-hmm. uh, who God is and then all the way down to who you are. Right. Yeah, that's good. Um, do you want to jump to the gospel, or do you want to go through the psalm? Uh, we can go through the psalm really quick because it is connected mm-hmm. to the first reading. I mean, the the response um, verse is straight from <laughs> the first yeah. reading. Sometimes that happens, but so it's uh, Psalm eighty, and this is in the part of the Psalms where David laments. So the psalmist laments that the the collapse of the Davidic kingdom and the covenant. So it kind of goes through that. Um, where is it? Yeah. A vine from Egypt, which you transplanted. So this is the vine of, of the Israelites. They were mm-hmm. taken out of Egypt and he, he says that you drove out the nations and you planted it. So God kind of cleared the way. It's, it's recalling all the, again, the things that God did for them, for them to get to the promised land. Mm. But then it shifts in this, well, then why have you broken down its walls? Why is it, why do passerbyers pluck its fruit and you lay it to waste? And then it's this plea to, to come back and to restore mm-hmm. the kingdom, which is what we're going to see Christ do. It's very interesting. It seems like Isaiah, I mean, the way the readings are chosen and set up, it's like Isaiah is speaking from like God's perspective of like, I built this thing. It's not producing fruit. Would you judge me if I were to let it be destroyed? Like, obviously, this is what one should do when these things are not working out this way. And then the psalmist is questioning, like, why has this been done? 
and then Christ seems to reveal oh, why yeah. all of this is taking place. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, no, I think that's that's the exact connection because in the there's the kind of the first half of the of the first reading, it's this idea of well, it's it's my friend's vineyard, mm-hmm. and he did all these things for right. it. But when he went to go harvest, he found wild grapes. So right. what would what would what would you do, yeah, inhabitants just, yeah. of Jerusalem right. or uh, Judah, yep. yeah, Jerusalem and Judah? Uh, what what would you do? Mm-hmm. You know what 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 more? But it's it's weird because he 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 shifts the voice right because he said it's my friend, and then it's now judged between me and my vineyard. What yeah. more was there? And he starts <clears throat> speaking in the first person, right? So it's yeah, like it switches to to God. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when I think people realize, or you know, if you were listening. This isn't about my friend, <laughs> you yeah. know, the hypo- hypothetical friend. Yeah. You're right. And then uh, the psalmist picks up, why is it happening? That right. plead, and then Christ answers, it's because of your abusive power yep. that is happening, among other reasons. Yeah. Good. Any other thoughts? Or- uh, no, I, yeah. I want you to start going into the gospel, because I, I have some thoughts on that, but I don't want to, like, spoil <laughs> what <laughs> okay. you have to say first. Okay, sure. Um well, can you can you hold them for a little? Do you, yeah, do you yeah. Have, okay. Because yeah, yeah. I just wanted to go through the mm-hmm. second reading really uh, a little bit. There's some interesting stuff in here, um, some interesting Greek words and some ideas mm-hmm. that Saint Paul picks about or picks up on. I kind of want to talk about anxiety and, and prayer, but uh, in in this particular passage, he's he's kind of exhorting us to instead of focusing on kind of the the, the struggles of. Of that that's happening to us, the the bad things in life, and that that can happen to us. That we should commit to a life of prayer, and know mm-hmm. that the Lord is always watching, and things happen by His His providence. But you can only kind of understand that if you keep your your focus on God yeah. or on Christ. And so He says that in this constant dialogue and prayer is a one way for us to prevent anxiety, and I would say to express our gratitude. For all that is good, for all that that we do have, and then once we express that gratitude, we'll have the peace of Christ will mm-hmm. will come uh, to our hearts. But it's it's interesting. He uses a Greek word um, arete, I believe it is, which you know we translate as goodness, but it can also be moral virtue. Mm-hmm. It's only found four times in the New Testament, but it's it's found a lot in actually secular works of Greek philosophy mm-hmm. and moralist. And so it's it's this idea that we should focus on moral virtue. Mm-hmm. You know, he says, he exhorts us to, well, you know, whatever is good, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is no- noble, if there's any excellence, I think, yeah, that's the yep. word. that mm-hmm. That's worthy of praise. You, you should focus on those things. So it, it's one of the times in Scripture where you see Christianity's absorption or baptism of pagan of paganism right because he doesn't he doesn't kind of full sail obviously say like everything pagan is good but there are pagan virtues that christians practice right mm-hmm. or i mean i, I mean we, we wouldn't explicitly call them pagan virtues but the idea of prudence you know justice yeah, right. <laughs> all the, the, yeah. all those are they're well known to greek think, thinkers but christianity took them and said mm-hmm. that ultimately they have a divine origin. Anything that is good is in Christ. Yep. yep. He's the author of that. So you, you see a, a dialogue, I think, that St. Paul is beginning 
with so-called uh, secular culture mm-hmm. of this time or pagan culture, that if it's good, it can be accepted into Christianity mm. or adopted into Christianity. Yeah, I like that. I, I, mean, I don't want to simplify anxiety and be like, if you just prayed more, yeah. you, know, you wouldn't have anxiety. Because that, that's, that's too simplistic and it, it's not true. But I do think perhaps to borrow some Petersonian language, you, you have to have this kind of ideal future to aim at. Mm-hmm. You, and you have to have something, you, you should watch kind of your thoughts. If you're having kind of these, these anxious thoughts, I think what St. Paul is saying is shift them to everything that is noble and good. Right. Think about goodness. Mm-hmm. And if you think about goodness, you'll think about Christ, and then Christ will come and dwell in your heart in peace. Mm. Yeah. You know, again, it, it's not to, to simplify things, but I do think that that's what he's, what he's trying to say is that despite how bad things are, prayer, I think, is a form of thanksgiving or gratitude. Mm-hmm. That even if you say, like, I have a really, I have a really crappy hand in life, yeah. you can still say, but I have life. Mm-hmm. And right. for that. You can that, still I'm, pursue the good yes. in any situation. And if that's your focus, then... Yeah, it's that's very interesting. Um, that I I will have a comment on that once we go through the gospel as well. Sure. Um, but yeah, I really like that idea of uh, prayer and petition with thanksgiving as being the source of remedy for anxiety. Just because anxiety is one of those things where it's like depression is different than anxiety, and anxiety feels like you have a plethora of stimuli like overstimulated mm-hmm. and so it's like i don't actually know what to do with all the things like there's too many things that could happen um and i don't know what will happen um whereas a depression seems more like a malaise and a and a slowing disposition as mm-hmm. opposed to like a hyper like i i'm too aware yeah um and so this kind of call to like focus that multifaceted gaze into one thing Things that you can control, things that you should could you should control, that are in your power to control, do that, and those happen to be the good things, like the virtues that you can that you can attain, as opposed to whether or not your life circumstance is exactly how you would want it. It's like that's sometimes that's out of your power, but pursuing virtue is always in your power. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. That's a good line. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna make. We're gonna put that on. No, no, is that a real no? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, no, that's uh, that's exactly it. I think is is to. Uh, I think part of prayer is this narrowing down of everything that's going on and mm-hmm. to focusing on this this one thing, right? And it's this semi semi uh, glance, I would say, into. The beatific vision, you know, it's almost like what yeah. prayer is, mm-hmm. is like a very, very, very small moment yeah. where you sit down and you focus on the one thing, which is the good. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then from there, hopefully when you leave prayer, you're right, then you do do the things that you can pursue. Mm-hmm. And you can always pursue virtue. Right. Yeah. And it's not to say that those things should not be tended to, uh, but it is to say that prayer and thanksgiving and that remembrance are the source of the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, right? So it's it's not like the peace of God that neglects understanding or neglects reason. 
it's actually something that's beyond it that takes this kind of um, what would you like you would say almost like oxymoronic stance where it's like if you don't focus on it, then it gets solved. It's just very hard to describe, but when it's like when when you put it in the right place and you focus on one thing, that opens back up and allows grace and God's grace to work in you that you couldn't have been able to do without that. Like it's like, no, I'm just going to like run like a chicken without a head to try to manage all the things. It's like, no, here first, right? And then then the grace comes that surpasses your own capacity. Yeah, yeah. No, I I think that's that's such a great line that – this peace that surpasses all understanding. Yeah. I, I do think that that grace that you're talking about, that that, that actually happens. Yeah. And it becomes, like you said, it, it becomes something you, you can't really understand or you can't really uh, explain. Right. I, some... I think of it like John of the Cross is like divine darkness. Yeah. Where it's like, um, this is something beyond your capacity. And it's not like praying gives you a special power where now you understand all the things. It's actually a submitting to a power that's beyond you that you're never going to be able to fully grasp, and then that allows life to happen in your life. Yeah, yeah. It's it's this 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 kneeling before as a mystery, mm-hmm. right? That you know that you don't understand, but somehow it it gives you this. Uh, like you said, the the divine darkness yeah. where. You 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 don't understand, but somehow you I don't know. Yeah, you yeah. Do. I don't. That, that's interesting. Yeah. You use the word mystery because that's like the two understandings of that word, where it's like one of them is something that will never be, like something that's hidden and uncovered. I mean, or covered, as opposed to something that is infinite. Right. Right. So it's like it's a mystery how prayer works. Is not to say that like it is a secret. And once you figure it out, then you've got the key to control all the things. It's it's infinite in its possibility and never graspable. Right. That's that's what we mean by mystery. Yeah. No. That that's a good distinction because you're you're right. The this idea of mystery in prayer is not well. I don't really know like what's happening or what. Yeah. You know, it's not a neg- like, neglect of reason. Right. Yeah. Or aban- Yeah. You're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, an abandonment of reason. Mm-hmm. It's just I am. I'm entering in a, into a, a space that I can't grasp completely and will continually change. Yeah. You know, me and, and everything. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, this, this is Paul's um, kind of, I think, exhortation to embody the highest virtues, even if they're pagan. Mm-hmm. Because following those virtues is, is still a call to follow Christ. It's, I I really uh, I really like this passage because of its connection to it's it or it's Paul's conversation with pagan culture mm-hmm. where we start to see that Christianity was not one did not <laughs> develop in a vacuum but two actually takes present culture takes the best of present culture and adopts right. it into Christianity mm-hmm. it, it shows that Christianity and, and paganism weren't. Um, in, in one hand, they are <laughs> at yeah. odds uh-huh. <laughs> for sure. Don't get yeah, me wrong. Yeah. But on the other, they were able to incorporate those things. Yeah. It, you know, it wasn't yeah, a yeah. wholesale rejection of everything that was not only in the gospel or something like that. Um, but that everything good has its origin in God or origin in Christ. Yeah. Any. any That's other it thoughts? on that one. Yeah. Okay. We'll come back once yeah. we once we go through the gospel. That's usually. What happens, I uh-huh. think, for, for Father and I is we will go through all of it and then go back. And then <laughs> overlap. Right, yeah, because yeah, there's other things. But anyway, move on to the gospel, 
which is uh, from Matthew 21, and it's the parable of the tenants, and Christ is clearly expanding upon the first reading. He, yeah. he has in mind Isaiah and the poem that Isaiah gives, because mm. it's it's about a vineyard, again, but it's, it's slightly different because he focuses on the tenants of the vineyard. Mm-hmm. But he says... You know, here He's speaking the, to the chief priests and elders of the people. Right. That's, yeah, that, yeah, that's important. Yeah. He, uh-huh. That's how the gospel begins. Yeah. Is he says to chief priests and elders of the people. Here's another parable. Um, there was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a hedge around it, dug a wine press, built a tower. Then he leased it to tenants and went on a journey. When vintage, when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the, to the tenants to obtain his produce. But the tenants seized the servants and... One they beat, another they killed, and a third they stoned. And again, he sent other servants, more numerous than the first ones, but they treated them the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, thinking, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to one another, this is the the heir. Come, let us kill him and acquire his, his inheritance. They seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. What will the owner of the vineyard do to those tenants when he comes? They answered him, he will put those wretched men to a wretched death and lease his and lease his vineyard to other tenants who will produce the, who will produce at the proper times mm. i only read the whole thing because i feel like we're going to talk about a lot of those elements so it's important to know yeah. and but, it doesn't it also ends with uh jesus saying to them did you never read the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone by the Lord has this been done, and it is wonderful on our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that will produce produce its fruit. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. So, again, building off common imagery of, of the, the vineyard, he Christ uses this, this word for the, the landowner, which is kind of the, the head of the, the family or a master of the house. Mm. I think it's... A lot of times in English, kind of older English translations, it's hus- husbandman, uh-huh. I think. But this idea that it's not just, I think, kind of like a vague landowner, but there was some sort of familial connection, I mm-hmm. think. And that's very common for God in the Old Testament to refer to the people of Israel in this covenant like relationship language and not just Interesting. kind of pure Lord. Yep. Lord, Lord it over them. Mm-hmm. And I think Christ is trying to do that again, is the, this vineyard was meant to be something of a household, but you have, in the words of Christ, turned it into mm-hmm. a den of thieves. You've, you've taken it for yourselves, mm-hmm. something that was not yours, because he says, you know, I, I le- the landowner leased it to them. Right. So they, they don't own this property, but yet they, they think they do, they're, but they're servants of, of the vineyard. Right. But they want to become... Masters of the vineyard. Mm. So trying to, to re- wrestle it from his hands, I guess. So, so he, he, there's also the clear analogy that he's going to, that Christ is going to suffer death at the hands of these people. And he talks about the sending, sending of the sun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you also have the the symbol of or the images of the prophets mm-hmm. that you know they sent many of the servants that they beat and killed. So 
Christ is saying that there's this kind of pattern with with Israel that I send the, my father sends people to collect the produce, right. and he doesn't find produce. Mm-hmm. He finds, as the first reading says, he finds uh, bloodshed and and no justice. Right, right. So once again, the tenants who should who should have produced something to him actually only kill, which we talked about a little bit before. No, mm-hmm. but that was something else. That was some, I think. Yeah, this idea of death. Yes. The- yeah, we'll get to that. Um, that was before we started recording. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's very interesting. The first thing that came to my mind was like the that image of uh, the steward of Gondor, where he <laughs> a- assumes that the ruling of Gondor is his. You know that 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 forgetfulness of your place. Yes. Um, it's very interesting because it, it does seem it does seem like one would wonder why why the tenants would not give the master their produce, and it would be either they didn't do the work and they're hiding their neglect or they're keeping it for themselves. And so it is both in both cases, it is a forgetfulness of what they were even doing in the first place. Yeah, that that's true because once the idea that perhaps the king of Gondor is coming back, the steward becomes enraged and it's like, no, it's yeah. mine. And so you know, I, I like, guess did I you forget that it was like you were supposed to be here until the king returned? Right. Like, like you completely forgot your whole place. Um, yeah, it's just interesting that it would seem obvious that it's like, yes, I leased this land to you. Where's the produce? Right. Um, no, that, that's that's yeah. true. He, he, the landowner comes to receive what is rightfully his, right? But f- for some reason, that's that's not given that we're expanding upon. But the the tenants refused. Mm-hmm. Instead, they they killed all those who came. And if we take, I guess, the obvious historical analogy, which is that the the servants or the prophets. And the tenants are you know, the people of Israel. It's it's almost like they they didn't they Israel didn't want to hear what the prophets had to say. Yeah, and so it's they they didn't want to hear that they they hadn't produced fruit. Mm-hmm. So there's maybe so I I, I hadn't really considered it until you, you mentioned it this idea that maybe they didn't do the work. Right. It wasn't even that they produced something and they mm-hmm. kept it, which I think is possible. Yep. But it's actually maybe they just never produced anything at all. Either way, it's a neglect of the purpose, which lends itself to uh, lose its identity and then, you know, go corrupt. Right. Um, So whether that's like a power grab or just complete neglect, either way, uh, the thorns are coming. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, It's it's also kind of peculiar that they said when, when the landowner sends the son, they say, they see the son. And they say, "This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and acquire his inheritance." Mm-hmm. Like that's a very absurd thing. Yeah, because right. killing the son is not going to like. Why would you inherit what he has just by killing him? Right. Yeah, one would assume would, that they would have to hide that in secret. 
Right. And say like your son died somehow, and he's like, "Oh, I'm so like that's so unfortunate." Here, you can be the heirs now. <laughs> oh, right. Know? Yeah. It it is, but it is it is kind of talk. It speaks to like the madness of that forgetfulness being like complete neglect, um, to the point where they don't even remember how this hierarchy would work in right. reality. So they're just they're going about like just kind of hacking away at these people trying to obtain power without understanding. It's like, oh, you know that when you do that, then consequences happen. <laughs> right, right. Uh, uh, so Pope Benedict actually commented on this this passage and said something that it, it's the, this passage is em- emblematic or symbolic of what is happening in our present age, he mm. thinks. That he says, you know, Christ parables always speak in the present, but with an eye to the future. So what he sees in the death of the son is Nietzsche's proclamation of the death of God. Mm. So the son comes and he says, let us kill the son and, and take his inheritance. He says, let us declare that God is dead. Well, Then we ourselves will be God. At least we, have, we no longer have anyone else to, to look up to. Rather, we simply are the owners of of ourselves and of the world. And we can do what we please when we get rid of God. Mm. There's no measuring rod above us. We ourselves are the only measure. And, th- and then he asks, you know, what happens to man in the world next? Like yeah. after after that happens. But I, I think it goes along with what we've been saying is they do not want any, any sort of outside accountability. Mm-hmm. Or, or, right. or responsibility yeah. because they have forgotten God, right? Or forgotten who they are. They think that they can measure themselves, and then you have people who come and say, "Recall them back yep. to covenant fidelity." So, call, recalling, asking to remember, yep. to recall what they promised, and they don't like that. Right. I don't want anyone to, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to recall that. Yep. It is interesting because the the servants come and essentially ask for an offering. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, give us your produce that you rightfully owe to the landowner. Um, and instead they, they kind of set up a tyranny, which is like harkens back to the Psalm where um, the Psalmist talks about the vine from Egypt you transplanted, right? It's like God pulled the Israelites out of a tyranny and set up an establishment for them to be fruitful. And instead they turned it back into a tyranny. Right. Again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's very interesting and how like this is setting up setting up a, a way that um kind of un, like reveals how just the nature of reality works. Um I was thinking about how like on the, even on the lowest level like you know you're you're speaking about something like Nietzsche and 21st century down to the particulars of like my own kingdom as a father. Um, when I outsource something to my eldest son, if I say, can you go tell your youngest brother to come here? I'm essentially leasing property to him and saying, you're going, I'm giving you a brief moment for you to enact power on my behalf so that that may come back to me. Mm-hmm. And if that starts to get neglected, and I start to see sibling rivalry, or because I'm older, I can dominate you. I'm taking that power away. Right. It's gone. Like so, the idea is that if you forget your place, your identity is lost. 
And so the answer to that is this remembrance of your place and this self-sacrificial disposition that my place is for somebody else. And that sustains the world. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's just so interesting how like how packed a story like this can be where it's, it's like fractally ap- applicable to so many aspects of life. Yeah, I, I like the this um, application to the personal because it's true. You have kind of the historical context of this passage, which is Christ is talking about Israel and that it will be handed over to a, kind of a Gentile Judeo-Christian mm-hmm. group. Then you have sort of this societal read, right? That right. society as, as a large has said, let us kill the son and take his inheritance. Yep. Let let us be the measuring rod now. Nietzsche's God is dead. And then you're right, though, it comes all the way down to the personal. That, yep. you know, as many church fathers would read this, that the vineyard is also your soul. Yep. And that God will come mm-hmm. one day and say, where is the produce? Right. Where's yes. your fruit? Mm. And what will you respond? And I think you can interpret the servants coming and being beaten as any any number of people who come to you throughout your life, you know, homilies, priests, mm-hmm. parents, spouses who come to you and, and say, where's the produce? Right. And you can kind of kill them symbolically. Yeah, yeah. In You know, by dending of your conscience mm-hmm. or refusing to listen, whatever it is. And then you can even kill the son who comes mm-hmm. to you and gives you the final judgment or almost the final yeah. judgment. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. even, but, you know, and say, no, 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 like, these were just servants, and I can not listen to them, mm-hmm. but I will take Christ, and I, I will become my own Christ, mm-hmm. and I will set up my own standard. But yeah. eventually, your your vineyard is going to be taken from you. Right. Yeah, it's almost as if, like, your, your uh, even, like, your own passions uh, and the virtues that will turn in on themselves, uh, like justice or... Uh, like a, a healthy magnanimity as opposed to pride. Uh, like all those things are for a self-offering, right? So it's in any moment where justice turns in on itself and becomes tyrannical, it for, like that aspect of my life forgets what this whole thing was for. It's mm-hmm. not for me to enact judgment on the world and to judge other people and to say who's going to heaven, who's going to hell. It's so that things are rightly ordered and things are owed what they're due, uh, as opposed to it becoming for my own gain. Right. Um, yeah, so that, that, that's, I feel like that's like the, the ultimate, the smallest version of that fractal application, and then it expounds all the way up to, you know, the historical read on this right. and then yeah. societal, et cetera. Yeah, because going back to, to gratitude, part of it is remembering the favors, but I think another part is this you will make a return if you can or if it's appropriate. And so mm-hmm. God is is saying, because gratitude is a part of uh, the virtue of justice, which, you know, so you render one what's due. So God's kind of saying, I gave you your vineyard, whatever mm-hmm. that is, and I do want to return on it. Yeah. You know, it, I, yeah. I'm willing to take care of it. I'm willing to, as you said, I'm willing to put the hedge around. I'm willing mm-hmm. to put the watchtower. I'm willing to make give it you rain. the grape. <laughs> right? yeah. Make it rain. <laughs> But I, I do expect a return. Yeah. yeah. This, this isn't just sort of this moral therapeutic deism, right? right. Like, you know, just kind of do whatever. And whatever whatever produce you produce, that'll mm-hmm. be okay with me. Right. Even if it's really bad. Mm-hmm. 
It's like, well, no, I think God actually wants more than that. But yeah, um, yeah, Continue, you know, some more thoughts on on gratitude. Was there something else you wanted to? I don't know if you wanted to go a different direction. You um, can, you can come speak back. on gratitude. Yeah, I want to speak on that last part about the stone that the builders rejected. Yeah, I, I, I still there's still some other stuff I want to mention. I just while I'm on gratitude, continue. Yeah, go with it. Um, I'm reminded of the conversation that in uh, Brothers Karamazov that Ivan has with the devil. The, div- uh, the devil appears to him a few times I think, what is in his bedroom. Mm-hmm. And throughout one of those conversations or in the middle of one of those conversations, the devil says that gratitude is forbidden for, of me. Mm. It, it's, it's one of the emotions that I, I can't experience. And I thought a little bit about, about that that the devil can't experience gratitude. And I think it's partly because gratitude, ingratitude is a rejection of being, of of the goodness of being. And that's sort of what the devil, that's like fundamentally what he is, is Mm -hmm. is a rejection of of, of the goodness of being. And and being grateful is is a remembrance, even if that's all you have is existence. Again, yeah. you're at least thankful to God that you are, mm. that that you have being, and therefore that that's good. But for the devil, it's a complete rejection, I think, of, of life. And therefore, when one is ingrateful, they're kind of, again, participating in the spirit of the demonic. Of, of the of the thing that scatters again, as you said, yep. the dismember, the yep. the diabolus, the throw apart, that ingratitude throws you apart, mm. symbolically. Yeah, wow. If not literally, but uh, but gratitude again remembers and brings back together that you have at the very least existence, and that it comes from God, and that's a good thing. Right. That's yeah. I really like that. Anyway, um, I want to talk a little bit about why I want to see what your thoughts are on uh, Jesus finishes this parable and asks, asks them like, what, what would the owner of the vineyard do with these tenants? And then they answer, well, they put them to a wretched death. Mm-hmm. And then he says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone by the Lord, this has been done and is wonderful in our eyes. What are your thoughts on why that ends this parable? Yeah, that is that is an interesting, an interesting ending to the to the parable. I, you would think that would be that that the full passage is where the chief priests say they're going to stone him. Yeah. Or so, or, you know, they're they're gonna they're they're gonna seek a way to kill him. So I think this is partly because, or it ends this way, or, or Christ inserts this scripture reference, is because the the thing, man, I'm trying to figure out how to say this. The the thing that holds the structure together. Is that 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 is perceived to them as useless? So it's mm. the thing that they rejected. Yep. But the thing that they rejected 
which is the the coming of the Christ and and his and his his prophetic mission mm-hmm. is is inversely to use Nietzsche again a revaluation that is actually mm. the thing that is going to rebuild the kingdom that's taken away from them. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, that's exactly where where my mind was going with this because it seems like what would what would the tenants have to do in order to be good tenants? Uh, they would have to acknowledge their place as uh, under the auspices of the landowner and give the fruit at the appropriate time. And so there's this idea of offering and a kind of outpouring, which I think is a cornerstone uh, to this parable. Something like death, something like abandoning abandoning oneself and pouring oneself out in order to sustain this identity of the vineyard. Um, and so that the stone that the builders rejected, I like how you said that from their perspective, right? So from their perspective in their kind of tyrannical world that they've built, they're trying to eradicate death mm-hmm. uh, and just continue to build without understanding that death exists, right? Consequences happen. What Christ is saying is that that is going to be foundational to all of reality, right? Mm-hmm. It's like that movement of the sacri- the sacrificial altar into the Holy of Holies um, is that his sacrifice is actually the cornerstone in which all of reality exists, um, even down to like how, how, how identities present themselves. And so in order for a vineyard to sustain... All of the hierarchical positions have to know that there's something above that they're offering themselves up to, right? So, and then, and then now we're going to zoom out at another fractal level. In order for my eldest son to understand his place and to continue to hold a place of extensionable authority that I grant to him, he's going to have to know that he has to outpour himself back to me in order for that to sustain or else it's going to go away. Um, same thing with my own passions, right? My passions have to completely outpour themselves out to God in order for anything good in my life to sustain. Um, once, it's, once it turns on it itself, once it doesn't die to itself, then it loses its identity and its structure. So I feel like the stone that the builders rejected is essentially Christ saying, my mission and my crucifixion is going to be a symbol of the foundation of everything that exists. Yes, that, that's what yeah. I was. That's what I was thinking. You know, this stone that they rejected is the sun that they took outside the vineyard. Yes. and destroyed. Right. You know that they they killed, but actually, that's the stone <laughs> that yeah. keeps the vineyard going. Right. What does it mean like, to bring the sun into the vineyard? Right. 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 It's the, and the sun being Christ. If we're going to see it that way as being he who completely outpours himself. Right. Right. So taking in that part as a central piece of your identity, taking that into the vineyard is what sustains the world. And if you don't remember that, if if you're given a vineyard and you forget that, whether you're church leader, father, individual, whatever, that'll be taken away and given to somebody else who will produce fruit. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's that that's an interesting observation that they didn't see him from afar and kill him. Mm-hmm. They actually let him into the vineyard because it says they threw him out of the vineyard. Right. So therefore, he must have 
yeah, been in. It. Yep. But so he comes in, and then they have to take him out. And so this is obviously a it's an illusion, uh, illusion that's that this is how Christ is killed, right? He's killed outside mm-hmm. of Jerusalem, outside the city walls. However, I think there is there's also a greater commentary of kind of expelling the uh, taking something outside of order, taking mm-hmm. killing the thing outside in chaos, mm-hmm. or the thing that disturbs the order has to be thrown out. Yeah, like a scapegoat. Right, exactly. The scapegoat. Mm-hmm. It's all throughout the the Old Testament, mm-hmm. um, particularly with that. But you know, I think also lepers, mm-hmm. things like that. You know, yep. Irregulars have to be on the outside. But he's saying that although you sacrificed me outside the city walls, uh, you put me on the the fringe, you rejected me. Mm-hmm. That rejection is the cornerstone. Yep. That becomes yeah. a thing that fits the structure together. Yep. And as you said, cosmically. It's the it's the cornerstone of all that all that is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's that's his response. Well, so they say to him, you know, what 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 should Christ ask the elders? What should the landowner do? And he says he they should put him to death. Mm-hmm. And then he responds with the parable, and says, therefore, so that's this idea that. Here's my argument, mm-hmm. and that the conclusion from this argument is that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that bears fruit. Yeah. So the argument is, although you have rejected me, I will become the cornerstone. Yep. Therefore, the kingdom of God will be given to people who accept that principle. Th- that principle. Yeah. Yep. yep. Exactly. That except my rejection was actually the cornerstone, yep. but though, but you, who just accept me as the rejected stone only, right? Like that, yep. that that's where it ends. You will have it taken away right. from you. And that's again, that's like that imagery of the the sacrificial altar being in the holy of holies. Like this yeah. is now the centerpiece of the identity of the of the church that will hopefully produce fruit. That the, um, on a personal note um as this is being addressed to the chief priests and elders of the people, uh, it it just kind of gives me a kind of, I don't know, sad <laughs> sad view of the state of the church in some, in some respects um, with the, the way things are going now. Um, not to get into the like church politics of everything right now, but sometimes when I look too closely to that, it brings me to a state of, almost despair, but right. I think that second reading was really like <laughs> helpful for me to look at both of these things, uh, both the first and the gospel in light of what's going on with the church and my own view of things, whether it's a, a good read or not. Um, but knowing that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding is, is just doing what's right in my own life. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like not to get so caught up in the politics, whether even if it's like American politics or Catholic politics, knowing that my role in life is to be, is to be the body of Christ, right? Is to be the church. Yeah. Um, and so, that brings me a place of peace and of removal and of anxiety of what's going to happen and what, like how all things, all all of this is going to sort itself out. It's like it's not my place to do that. I'm not a member of the clergy, so right. God bless. <laughs> I need to raise my family, you know, and, and yeah. pursue my own prayer life. 
Yeah. yeah. As we said, the, the vineyard is multiple things. It's the church, the church as an institution, mm-hmm. and then your personal level. Right. When it, <clears throat> excuse me. When it comes to some of these bigger issues sometimes, I, I don't necessarily advocate to bury your head in the sand, but yeah. I... I'm very prone to just go home, yeah, make your bed, mm-hmm. and pray to your father in secret who sees you in secret. Yeah, for sure. There, there's a big part of me that's like, yo, what's going on with Pope Francis? What's, mm-hmm. a, what's going on with he? And, and this and this bishop and this cardinal said, and part of me just wants to say, when was the last time you went to mass? Yeah, exactly. When it's was a, the last time you went to confession? Like, it's as if talking about those things makes you a better Catholic. Like there's yeah. like that misconception. It's like, no, it's actually it's actually your personal relationship with the with the person of Jesus Christ. Like yeah. not which cardinal said what. You know, um, I same cert- thing with American politics too. It's like how do you oh, be yeah. a good American? It's like not not debating what's going on in Wisconsin. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> Right. Yeah. No, it's it's at this very individualistic or individual not individualistic, but individual level. Yeah, subsidiarity. Yeah. I mean certainly you should do your part mm-hmm. to build up the body. It's not like, you know, that you should just abandon everything because Christ will ask you what you did <laughs> for the for body sure. of Christ. Yep. However, in in your judgment before God, it's not you and like the church. And it's like, well, you know, the church is in pretty bad shape. Sorry, bud, but you can't make it because <laughs> yeah. the church is in the, right, it's, right. No, it's going to be, it's you and God. Yep. So he's going to ask you to bear fruit. Mm-hmm. So before, yeah, you're right. Like, well, this, this pope and then the the yeah. cardinals. It's like, well, no, 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 you. No, the question you, is not going to be, do like, you have the correct opinion on the latest pope tweet? Right. <laughs> you know? It's like, well, how are you bearing fruit? Yeah. Don't exactly. like not not and ask about this guy. Exactly. How are you bearing fruit? And going back to this, uh, what you what you pointed out about sometimes people get into these uh, arguments about. You know, the Pope and like mm-hmm. they 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 see that as a part of their their faith. It reminds me of something I said on last week's podcast about Saint Teresa of Avila. Of like you know you have these desires, right? It's like I have a great passion and desire for the church. Mm-hmm. It's like great, but that like but what are you doing? Yeah, right. <laughs> right? It's like yeah. I I know that the reason why you get so riled up about uh, the Pope or the Cardinals is because you have a great passion. Mm-hmm. But why don't you use that passion to Love your family and right. do a holy hour or something. Right. Do something that's worthy, that's going to save your soul. Right. Some are called yeah. to that more public ministry, yeah. but most are not. You know, right. like it's 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 really just, un- and even the ones who are should understand that it, it works at that fractal level of like, if you try to, th- if you try to change the world without changing your person, this is like a, a Petersonian stuff mm-hmm. where it's like, clean your room and then build on that. So it's like. Your faith doesn't rely on you knowing all about the politics of how Rome is. Oh set right, up. like right, yeah, right. And I think actually, you know, some of our saints over this past week exemplify that, right? It's yeah. like you have Saint Therese, just like the a little Fre- way, right? A French girl, you know, in France, like no one really, no one knew her, mm-hmm. and a lot of her sisters thought that she was a kind of a nobody. Yeah, you know, Saint Faustina again. Mm-hmm. Uh, hidden away, nowhere. St. Bruno, I mean, mm-hmm. he, these guys are, like, they're still, the Carthusians are still one of the strict, strictest orders in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, like, they, no one knows who they are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But right. it's like, because 
that's how they sustain the world though yep. is this hiddenness and it's the same thing with i think families mm-hmm. is stay faithful to your vocation and role yeah yeah do, exactly. do that you know produce fruit in whatever vineyard you, you are at and right. are called to and don't worry you know yeah. and that, hopefully things will sort itself out yeah stay yeah. informed but i always struggle with at what point is staying informed yeah like what's the line of I know what's going on and yeah. I know too much. And yeah, now like, I now I have anxiety. Right. <laughs> yeah, like just, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, I, I think yeah. you made a great point about the second reading's connection to the gospel of just focus on what you can do. You yeah, can always sure. practice virtue. Do that. Yep. And be grateful for what what the Lord's done for you so mm-hmm. far. But yeah, absolutely. Any any other thoughts or that's it? That's all I got. Yeah. That's um I think is a good place to stop for us. Um yeah, well I think we'll stop there. Okay. Cool. Thank you so much for listening. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. And we will see you next week. Yeah.